Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. We usually like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about you, what you do, and how you like to spend your time also outside of work? I'm Naomi Maria Seschel Cole, and I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I am a designer and illustrator, and I guess nowadays hobbyist printmaker. <laughs> I really just focus primarily on print design and like kind of heavily illustrated things or what I like to do. And so I've spent a lot of time in uh, the retail part of design, designing like actual physical retail products and doing marketing and coming up with branding for different micro brands for different e-commerce companies and like in-house roles. Right now I'm actually getting ready to start a a new job next week working in uh, educational both book design and actual educational product design. So it's kind of a fun little twist to go back to print because I majored in printmaking. Can I stop here? Yes. <laughs> I, feel like I, I, have, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I took, started that in the right way. Um, <laughs> it's so really cool. Do you want me to, do you want to, um, do it or maybe <laughs> or, yes. or, or, or it could even include this i don't really know if i should have started off with what i'm doing now and worked my way backwards or start backwards and work forwards it is totally there is no good or bad answer to anything okay um, well I'll, I'll work my way backwards i'm totally fine with this being as it is <laughs> I honestly love the just like we both introduced ourselves and okay. it exploded into laughter within a minute. Like, <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll keep what we had so far. So I'll go backward a little bit and then work my way forward. But I majored in printmaking in art history. And so I didn't really come to design from the traditional way. I went into a design program or I didn't go into visual communication program. I learned how to kern letters the hard way with lead type on a physical letterpress. So we had a bunch of Vandercooks at my school. I went to Heron School of Art and Design, which is uh, one of IU's campuses in downtown Indianapolis or Indiana University. But yeah, so I had a really great painting teacher who told me when I was kind of having a crisis um, trying to figure out what I wanted to major in because I went to school with the intention of becoming a painting major. And then I thought, well, geez, that might be a kind of a waste of money because anybody can learn how to paint. Um, <laughs> I would like to at least be spending money on something that I could learn. <laughs> um, so he had a pretty good piece of advice. He said, you could keep learning painting. He thought I was good at it. He's like, but I think you should really check out printmaking, especially because I had told him that I was interested in design. And he said that printmaking ends up being the best of both worlds because you're going to learn all of the core 
skills in terms of design principles and again, learning to plan type-based workout the, the long way. But then the thing is then you're not pigeonholed into just being a designer. And not to say that people who go into design can't be artists because that's silly, but his whole point of view was if I just focused on just painting or if I only focused on design, I was going to miss the best parts of both worlds. So I went into printmaking. I first took a screen printing class and I fell in love because I'm a very process oriented person, despite being from an art background. And there's a to-do list for <laughs> for everything, despite it being art. I mean, whether it's lithography or etching or letterpress or screen printing, I mean, their chemical processes are involved. I mean, you have to do everything in a certain way and you know you do get this final piece of art at the end but the process is really what takes up the most of it and and then I think that's kind of taught me a lot of patience for design later and so I ended up doing a little bit of stuff with like an art museum like a children's art museum working for city government in an arts role and just picking up freelance work and so I kind of realized that I didn't want to get my MFA, but I did want to be work as a designer. So I started out with a really boring typesetting job for Classifieds newspaper, which is, you know, not, not exciting at all. But I managed to figure out how to kind of do more fun things in the role, figure out how to squeeze illustration into it. And I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for, I think, everybody who's working in a creative field or trying to break into a creative field is you just kind of have to keep figuring out how you can like wedge your way to your goal <laughs> in whatever job that you're at. And so I just kind of flipped my way up to more jobs and getting kind of closer to my goal. And I sounds silly, but I still don't really know what my 100% like dream design job would be because I still feel like I'm learning even after, you know, I guess I'm seven years in as a designer now. <laughs> That's a very interesting path from going from painting, loving painting to printmaking to currently today you do a little bit of, correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit of brand work mm -hmm. um, specifically in, in the publishing field. Again, please correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, well, I mean, I guess I kind of started with publishing with, publishing. <laughs> with classifieds, but it's not like great publishing, <laughs> but now I'm, now I'm circling back to publishing um, before in between then and now I did a lot of just like retail, strictly retail product design only for just like home goods and toys and, and games. So nice. It sounds like, when you were in school, you kind of had to strike this balance. And it sounds like you also had someone you looked up to a mentor who ha helped you guide you through that process of what is something that I love to do versus what is something that's almost a little bit more practical. Mm -hmm. And what is the fusion of those two things to then discover, you know, a happy medium? Do you think that a, a lot of people go through that kind of stuff? Did you feel like that was a unique situation to you? Like, what, what do you find when you were in school? Was that common in the design field? I think for school, it's kind of interesting, because a lot of people ended up getting their degrees. And, you know, if you're trying to do the full time art thing, you're not going to go straight from walking away with your diploma to suddenly earning a living on just your art. I mean, it's just, that's not, that's okay. I, I'm sure there are a handful of people who do, but the vast majority of people know. And so I think 
it's just kind of important to remember that like getting to where you want to go is is a process and there's no like straightforward path for for anybody some people have a shorter route if they've have the privilege of where they ended up going to school like where they're located not necessarily financial privilege but i mean there's going to be a lot more opportunities depending on where you are here in iowa the opportunities that will you know, present themselves to you are going to look totally different than someone who, you know, graduated from like RISD. I think just the most important thing for, for everyone is just to realize that it's just you, you do you. <laughs> and I think the best teachers that I've had, that was the message they were pushing because at the end of the day, you know, it's really easy to get burnt out in creative fields because you put so much more of yourself into your work than let's say an accountant would. <laughs> so, um, so I think it's, it's the best lesson that I've learned from a lot of, of teachers is just that you have to figure out what works for you. Uh, you obviously still have to challenge yourself, but you know, it's not going to be something that's easy and fast. Couldn't agree more. I feel like everybody does definitely have their own path and some do begin out a little bit more privileged than others. And so it is kind of about finding how to get your foot in certain doors that you potentially want to enter more into. And it sounds like for for you, you started out on the path that a lot of designers do, which is interning or having apprenticeships. When it comes to that sort of stuff, do you find the experience in an internship is valuable? Because I think the word intern sometimes strikes a little bit of controversy up because it's working with junior uh, designers for the first time in the art field, specifically as an independent contractor. Some people might be taking advantage, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are all your thoughts surrounding that kind of thing? Well, I think the important thing is if you're still in school or just out of school and you're looking for an internship, try to read a lot about where you're going into. Try and see if you can find some reviews or maybe you found other students who are a couple of years ahead of you in school and just find out what you're getting into because there are definitely not so much anymore because I feel like we have a lot more legal frameworks in place to prevent people from just fetching coffee. Um, but I think it, it just you have to see if the job is going to teach you what you're looking for in a job? Um, like, what are you trying to gain from the work? Are you trying to just meet people? Because I think certain internships have value in the sense that you are going to have, you're going to get to meet people at a company. Maybe this is a company you want to work at later. Maybe there's someone you really respect at this company or firm, and you just would really like to have the opportunity to, you know, just spend time with them, occasionally pick their brain. But maybe you're really want to work for a museum. I mean, maybe that's your thing. So I think it's, if you can afford to be choosy on your internships, try. But obviously, you know, if you don't have a lot of choices, you should just grab what you can take and figure out how to best make the job do the most for you, the internship. Because I think sometimes companies don't even know what they want their interns to do sometimes. (laughs) So, So I think it's an opportunity for an intern to, if you have an idea, just throw it out there. The worst thing that happens is you find out that they don't want to hear your ideas, <laughs> but you may totally be encouraged to push your passion project. I've been at jobs where someone had an idea for something and, you know, we've encouraged that, you know, we obviously we're not going to let you go do everything by yourself, but we will try and nurture 
the, the idea, because this was where I had been working at somewhere previously, we designed games, and one of our interns was interested in, you know, had come up with an idea for a game. And so we let her kind of work with one of our marketing people. And then she started trying to craft the way it worked. And, and at the end, we didn't find that it was something that was marketable. But at the end of the day, she did take this project pretty far. And later, if she wanted to, I, I'm not sure if she did, you know, she could have fleshed that out further and had like a really great portfolio piece that, you know, was for sure at, at the end a concept piece. But I mean, I think this is <laughs> this is where the, it's always important to put in your portfolio, like a little bit, a little blurb about what you did, because I've seen a lot of portfolios where it's just pictures. And, and I think it would say a lot for from at least my point of view as someone hiring someone new um, to just see that they had this idea, they took this idea out, they proposed this idea, they got to run with it. And then they wanted to, you know, finish it up conceptually later. I think it's just something that's valuable. And I, I think that was something that she managed to learn a lot about in her time at the company. I, I had sort of two really interesting areas I wanted to dive into a mm -hmm. little bit more. One was your point about the ability or working your way up to a certain choosiness factor mm -hmm. that you can start choosing the type of roles that you want to be doing more of. But another piece was portfolios and what people look for in portfolios. And it sounds like as a designer yourself, you started out, you know, developing your own, and now you're kind of in the position where you're looking at portfolios and deciding, is this the type of person that could benefit from us collaborating with them on? So for designers out there who might be forming their portfolios for the first time, do you have any tips or advice on how they should approach it? Please write something. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, I'm serious. I mean, I, I see this both just in people who are still in school, their portfolios, but I'm honestly sometimes shocked with people who are, you know, like the same amount of experience as I am, because occasionally, you know, you'll have a coworker or someone who's looking for work and then just be like, Hey, you know, I put together my portfolio, you want to, you know, take a look at it. And then I'm just kind of shocked that some people still just don't write anything beyond like the title of the project, I think it's really important. And it's, um, especially for kind of people who have more experience, I want to know, were you doing art direction in this? Was this like 100% you? Did you do the illustrations? Did you hire an outside illustrator? Like if I just see a project, I don't know if it was just you working on it or if it was a team of people working on it. So I think that's really important for people with more experience, but for younger designers, like who are still in school or, or, you know, maybe in working their first job and trying to look for their second one or working, you know, not a creative job and they're trying to break in. I, I want to know, you know, where were you coming from with your project? Did you do research? I don't need a, a dissertation or anything, but you know, it'd just be nice to know where was your inspiration from? You can, either write about it, you could share some mood boards, you can share some sketches. I mean, it doesn't have to be a ton, but just to have an idea of like, this is how you work. Are you more intuitive versus more research-based? Like, it lets me know if you were thinking more from your gut versus trying to rely on maybe like, if you were, because that's the thing is students are working with a lot of conceptual projects without real clients and stuff. So so I think if you have a brief and you explain, you know, why your imaginary client, their demographics or what they're trying to do, this is why, you know, this is how you're solving something they need. That tells me a lot more about you as a designer and what your potential is than just a bunch of pretty pictures. Also, don't use the same mock-up over and over. There's a lot of 
free mock-ups out there. There are some paid ones. I don't think you need to spend a ton of money on mock-ups, but it's better to either you can make your own mock-ups in Photoshop too. I mean, there are plenty of good tutorials on YouTube, but it's just, it's something that's helpful. It helps to sell the story a little better of what your project is. If you made everything yourself, you know, try to think about the way you're photographing your project. I mean, don't just take photographs of however you ended up presenting it pinned up on a critique room wall. Like that's still good too, but, you know, try to show different angles of your product show, you know, maybe what your, did you make mock-up packages? What did those look like? Show me a couple of your failed ideas. Very rarely is the first concept the, the end result. So I just think it's, it's good. And I think it's good to look back on your work and kind of see how you got somewhere. Because even if it was client ready and client happy, like there may still be some things about your project that you wish had happened differently. And it's something that you can think about and take into work later. So I think it's always nice to sort of reassess your own work and also try to keep your portfolio up to date, but nobody really ever does. It's hard. Um, so, <laughs> but that, I think that was a lot of excellent advice packed in there. I think just to break it down a little bit. So Naomi's tips for designers when it comes to building a portfolio, if you've had work experience, then please include a write-up along with some visual descriptions of what you did, but specifically outline more of your role within that project and what your contributions are more directly. And then if you're more of a student and you haven't had that prior experience, then it's helpful to show your thinking process, why you came up with the idea that you did, and even just to stand out, maybe show a couple other ideas that didn't make it onto the chalkboard. Again, just as part of the process of showing your thinking process, which I think is all really, really great ideas there. There was another point you touched on before a little bit about getting to the level where you can be choosy about the work that you do, which I think everyone who works, or a lot of people, at least I should say, who work in the design field, that is a stage where that's exciting, right? Because I think a lot of times in designs, there are a lot of clients you work for where you have to adhere more to their vision, their wishes, or whatever the case may be. For you, you mentioned that you just switched to a new job. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the two blend together quite naturally. What made you switch? And what are you hoping to to get from the new job that you're entering into? Well, I've been had been full-time freelance since the end of 2018. Honestly, COVID, it was kind of a big part of choosing to go back to regular work in the sense of trying to be choosy about your work. I mean, it's been a lot harder for me to try and find projects that like I'm like, oh, I'm 100%, you know, interested in this. It's kind of a lot more work ended up being a lot more of like spillover type work with some recurring clients and companies that I do work with. And also I got kind of locked into a lot of NDA situations. So I, you know, I've have like this year and a half of where I was working and I had some really great clients that I could never talk about and I could never share the work. And while it paid really great and it was fun working with these people, like I still, you know, I kind of missed being able to share what I was working on (laughs) and be able to tell people what I'm working on. I've decided to, you know, go back to work. I'm married. My husband has a good job. And so, you know, it's been okay, you know, having a dry spell. And, And again, this is something, you know, being able to be choosy is, again, another kind of point of 
privilege if you're not working something else. If you're already working in a job, unless the job is really bad, because there are some really toxic jobs. If you can stick it out to find the job that you, you really want, then try to, because it's going to be a lot better. I've, I've been someone who has kind of jumped around more because not so much from dissatisfaction, but maybe boredom where I felt like I exhausted everything that I could learn from a place. So I moved on to the next thing. When you, when you try to get hired later, you definitely, if it's like more of a corporate type environment, they're like, so tell me, why haven't you worked very long anywhere? Um, so, so there's that disadvantage. So if you're always kind of trading, I, but the thing is the design is a little more flexible. So I feel like you're, it's less frowned upon if you, if you jump around a lot, because like people I think are a little more understanding. But if you're trying to do in-house in a non-creative field, like in the uh, financial and like insurance and other kind of more cut and dry sectors, they're going to kind of question <laughs> question your loyalty a little bit. In this job search, there were a lot of there were there were several jobs where I made it to the end and decided this company wasn't for me. And because some of the jobs, it just was too many hats. You know, it was clearly like a two or three role. Uh, they really needed to fill like two or three seats, but they're trying to make it all be one person. And I mean, if you're going to do that, I really think you should pay much more for that. Um, but so, so I said no. And so then I just kind of waited until I found the job that seemed the most interesting. And so this was going to be doing stuff that I like doing. It was still going to be able to do illustrative stuff. It was still going to be retail products. I like being able to pick up something that I've made. I think that's one thing maybe coming from like a traditional art background is that maybe I, I like a little more of the tangible, tangible design <laughs> than digital. If you, if you know what you like to do or you think that you want to do, I mean, I, I really recommend if you can handle it, like juggle it in your life, try to do a little freelance on the side to see what you want to do. See if you can like figure it out that way, because your job's not always going to point that to you and you, People shouldn't feel bad for feeling kind of lost when they're working because it's like, I mean, I think a lot of people do. It's just about trying and feeling out different things and do personal projects, you know, do one of the 50 logo challenges or something. Or, you know, if that's not, maybe you're not super into logo design, go and try and download some of like the little sample projects from like Adobe XD or or some other things where you can kind of do concept projects that maybe you can twist it around to something unique. You know, you can build a portfolio of, of stuff that's what you want to do. It just takes some thinking and it takes time. <laughs> Not gonna lie, it's gonna take time. Um, so, so yeah, it's just uh, bite off what you can chew. Don't burn yourself out. I've done that to myself in the past. I had a period in my life where I was trying to do all the networking, trying to be on a bunch of boards, trying to, you know, do freelance, do my full-time job while doing a full-time, you know, like while searching for a bunch of jobs. And I just like, I burned out real quick, like after maybe like four months. So <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. But if you can't choose, I mean, if you're in a really bad job where you got a crazy boss, like, and there's no one there that has your back and your health is tanking. I mean, please just go get a different job. Try to find the next, you know, just, it may not be what you want to do, but just it, it's a stepping stone to the next thing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a, there's a lot in there about 
in a job, sometimes there are compromises you have to make, maybe specifically even more as a junior uh, designer in whatever field that you're in. But there's a, a certain tolerance or a certain limit that is perhaps subjective and everyone has, you know, what that is for themselves. And when it comes to a job, whether to stay or leave, uh, there's a, a couple principles, everyone, it, it would be beneficial to kind of set for themselves to make that decision. But for you, burnout after four months, uh, I think everyone can sort of relate to that in one way or another, having to juggle so many things at once. Specifically, I think like in our day and age, a lot of people have side hustles going on or they're starting their own personal projects, whether it's to advance their own professional growth or whether it's just for fun. You know, like I think everybody is juggling a lot, of, a lot right now. You mentioned trying to either start out as a freelancer or maybe eventually switching to become a freelancer. And so for both, like for someone who hasn't necessarily gotten that experience yet in professional work or even if someone is trying to become a freelancer but don't have their first clients yet, what do you think is the best way to go about either of those things? Well, odds are someone you know <laughs> or someone of a friend of friends needs something. And although that's always kind of hairy territory because when you're doing like the project for friends, it's like that might be the thing where they want 800 revisions. And so I really recommend starting off by getting a boilerplate contract template. And there's several designers that have some good blog posts, maybe even some PDF downloads of things. Like I honestly, like I took Jessica Hish's uh, seminar on uh, the dark arts of pricing, I think is what it was called, which wasn't really so much about contracts. She touched on it, but like, it's, it's something that's important, like protect yourself please, when you go into to freelance work, there will be people who may take forever to pay you or never pay you. Choose carefully. Don't expect your early freelance stuff to pick you big bucks. <laughs> it's about trying to, you know, see, kind of learn what your client interaction ends up being, because part of it is freelancing is a lot more customer service than you probably ever hoped for. I think the way things are now compared to when I first started freelancing, there's a lot more options from the bad side, like Fiverr and 99designs, which sure, okay, that gives you a real client and you could potentially get money, but it's still spec work. Uh, it's people racing to the bottom for pricing. I always feel so mixed about it. I mean, I maybe... I don't know. I, I never want to tell people no to to some of these sites because it it may be your real first way to get a client, but like don't make that your bread and butter. Try and figure out other ways to do it. Try and see volunteer roles that you could do pro bono that could maybe translate into something else later. There's I think it's called Volunteer Match is a website that allows you to you know, do what you do as a career. I mean, obviously they still have things like big brother, big sister type things on there, but you can search for remote design roles for tiny nonprofits that need someone. I mean, those are real clients. I mean, it's not going to pay you, but they're real clients who get to be real referrals, you know, and if it's a small nonprofit and they end up getting more fundraising later and you guys have a great relationship, you know, you never know. It might turn into a part-time job later. Like you don't know. I mean, obviously if, they're asking for way more work than, you know, you can commit to. I mean, you're a volunteer, you can say no. So it's kind of a, 
you know, unique place to be. But uh, you just look on Craigslist, as terrible <laughs> as that sounds. There will be some real people who actually have money to pay. You really just have to look. There's, you know, and then there's Upwork and everything else, which I haven't used. But I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to try and find freelance clients and also just network. I had some student who recently graduated from Greensboro add me on LinkedIn and like instantly hit me up to follow her page. And she's trying to like turn out all of this post content about branding and like why you need a logo and all of these other things. And it's just, I don't, I honestly don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I think it depends on how you hashtag things and who you end up networking with. But I mean, that's, that's an option. The hustle culture is real, (laughs) but not everybody is gonna, you know, get land land work that way. I mean, vast majority of my freelance work has always just been word of mouth, friends of friends. Sometimes some people who've seen my work on social media have, you know, approached me about work. I think it's don't make it your full-time job (laughs) to try and find work unless you're trying to make it your full-time job. I think it's a lot easier to just try and transition from freelance into that. And then also the unsung heroes, I think, in the freelance world are recruitment agencies. I mean, there are tons of companies that have spillover work, boring, boring corporate spillover work, but the pay rates are great. It's, you know, Fortune 500 companies. It's not going to be exciting work, but it pays. It's recurring work. Again, <laughs> like me, it, it, it may have NDAs and you may sort of be locked into the sink. But on the other hand, if you don't care, I mean, if you're really happy doing that, then great. I mean, it's just not what my preference was. I do know some people from one of the agencies I worked at that just that's all they did. I mean, they didn't even maintain a portfolio anymore. They just kept getting steady stream of work from the agency. A lot of but these jobs are not online. You, you have to go find the recruiter. You need to talk to the recruiter. You need to tell them what you do. You need to show them your portfolio. And then they'll be like, hey, you know, do you want to work for this company for, you know, they've got like 10 hours of work every week. It's not nine to five. You want to do it and go for it, you know, but they're not, you're not going to find that on LinkedIn. You're not going to find that on like the Robert Half website or Creative Circle or any of those websites. It's not listed. It's, it's, something that you only find out about if you have a relationship with a recruiter. So go find the recruiters, <laughs> um, message them on LinkedIn, you know, cold email them. So just give them your resume and your portfolio and just say, I want work. They'll, they'll look at your resume. <laughs> they'll look at your portfolio. It's, it's, it's actually like stupidly easy. I wish someone had told me about it in college. Like I found out about it later when I was freelancing full time. So, <laughs> so That's so good. There are so many ways to find work. And you're right. A lot of it isn't listed at all. I agree that I also had previously worked with a recruiting agency for some of the work. And it's exactly as you described, you know, it's some of it is that spillover stuff that again is, is never advertised. So I think that's great. And I think there's uh, a lot that, you know, someone beginning their career in this industry can take away from, from what you just said now, I kind of also want to shift it a, a little bit into the other direction. Also, mm-hmm. for someone who's a senior illustrator in your field, do you have advice in the other direction for someone not junior, but more in that direction? Not so much because like that's more where I'm at now. And I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I do get some illustration work, but it ends up being a lot of like this weird NDA stuff where you're doing stuff for like internal teams at companies, which pays well, but it's like not, I don't really know like a good way to explain how you get the job without 
screwing up the terms of my agreement. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't really tried to be a freelance illustrator. Like for me, it's freelance design seems to be a lot easier to acquire. I think uh, freelance illustration is sort of a scarier Wild West place just from friends who are in the field and just people who are bigger names that I follow on social media is just it doesn't pay great, unfortunately, for a lot of the editorial stuff. Like, it's not something that you can earn a living on. I mean, a lot of people have to do another job. So I can't speak from my own personal experience. But I mean, when I do illustration work, it's like illustration is a treat. Although I've tried to this year kind of learn a little more to kind of feel out maybe I want to get more into more production-y type illustration stuff. Like not so much my style, but Devin Co. has a 3D for designers class where you're working with After Effects and Cinema 4D Lite, which is apparently secretly packaged in your Creative Cloud subscription that they just don't tell you. So I started learning that over the summer. I don't think that it's something that I'll do, but it's maybe something where I'm just going to play around with for myself. I definitely recommend everybody learn new skills. You know, if you can work digitally and traditionally, that gives you a lot more opportunities than just doing one or the other. And I guess murals are becoming more of a thing now, but you apparently don't even have to do your own murals. So you can pay someone else to paint the mural for you. So you just have to come up with the designs. It's a weird time for illustration, especially considering that like in the tech industry, it's a kind of a very homogenized look with these very flat, blobby, semi-abstract people and objects that represent the services. So I no, I think a lot of people feel shut out by that because it's not their style. It's not what they want to do. So that's the thing is, uh, I mean, doing illustration as a job versus illustration as art ends up being two different things a lot of the time. You have to get to a certain point in your career before doing the illustration like you'd, you'd like to do as your art becomes, you know, your job. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just something where you got to do a lot of research and figure it out and figure out what kind of illustration work you want to do. Like, do you want it to be your style? Or are you okay with it being like industry style? Yeah, I think uh, as any di- designer would probably relate to discovering your own style is something that doesn't happen overnight. And it's not <laughs> something that right after, you know, grad school, you go, yep, that this is me. I think mm-hmm. it's a gradual process that will probably just continue to change as you learn more things, as you've said. And um, you've also mentioned a couple of good online resources that I guess more people are being exposed to and you know even more about just given the way that all of us are working now. Mm-hmm. Switching topics a tiny bit, uh, in your sort of experience at work, have you ever faced any sort of or fought against supremacy or patriarchy, ableism, or any sort of bigotry you've noticed uh, happen within you, the industry that we're in or even in your personal experiences on the job? Probably far enough away from one job to mention that I quit the job because I apparently hit the pay ceiling for my gender. So there's sure. that. <laughs> so um, that's why I left that job, actually. I, th- I think wage and uh, salary transparency is really important because I think that it helps you identify this. And the only reason I knew this was because we talked and it's not something that you should probably talk about in your office because uh, even though it's, I I really want to stress this, it's illegal to be fired for talking about your pay. It's in a lot of employee handbook 
spoiler templates, but if anyone fires you, go find a lawyer and try and sue the hell out of them. But talk with your coworkers, uh, who are your friends, see who's comfortable talking about pay. Not everybody is. I'm okay with telling people how much I make. I think it's important from like a, it's not really even collective action. It's just kind of knowing what happens because another place I was at, the pay rates ended up changing as the company grew. So the newest employees, their starting pay was better than the employees who had been working there for like six or seven years, which is crazy. And nobody knew about it until like maybe like a year before I had gotten there because they ended up starting to talk about it. And then they started sort of, you know, haggling a little bit. So there's that. So you might kind of find some mind blowing revelations (laughs) about compensation. But I think pay is a big inequality point from a lot of people. I know I came into a job where someone else who had come in just before me ended up being given a higher title even though I had more experience than them. And I am not going to go and say it was because he was a man and I was a woman, but there's a pretty good chance that was part of it because it seems pretty arbitrary for, you know, one person to be given the junior title and one person to give the regular title when the work experience was the opposite and the port. Uh, So I don't know, but I've dealt with racially insensitive bosses and HR can only do so much. I don't know. It's sort of a weird place to be. This is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I am Latina and um, I'm really pale because my dad's Polish. <laughs> so I don't don't always look like what I, what I am and what I am culturally raised as because I'm definitely uh, much more Chilean than I am Polish. Um, but so it's kind of like a weird place that I sit in where a lot of times people don't know that I'm not, you know, white European descent uh, and will say things and, you know, drop things and make bad jokes. And they're not really even jokes. I mean, they're just insults. So it's a weird place to be. And then, you know, it's kind of hard because sometimes you will try to tell someone and it's like, oh, you're being overreacting. I mean, that was kind of the experience I had in art school where I even had someone tell me that, like, I didn't have the right to be offended because I didn't look Latino enough. It's weird. I don't have any, you know, I wish I could say I had a good victory story, but I don't. I just see the ugliness that happens at some workplaces. And, I, you know, we I've worked someplace where we, several of us went to the human resources and human resources tried to do something about it to at least bring attention in an anonymous way to higher up people. But at the end of the day, they didn't care. So it's kind of, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has to kind of see what the workplace is like and feel like make judgment calls on their own to see whether or not they feel like it's safe to even say these things because there definitely was backlash where I worked at before when we tried to address some things from someone. So I don't know. It's, I wish I could say that it was easy to make changes. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people just end up having to switch jobs. But one thing you can try doing is try and see if you can suggest to your human resources person to see about trying to do some sort of diversity or in inclusiveness training or racial unbiased training or bias on uh, training uh, to just kind of identify it and see that it just even be aware that it's happening because I think a lot of people just don't even know 
especially like white people just don't know because it's easy to not notice because they're not usually the ones that are at the the other end of the stick of the, of the jokes and the situation. Although I feel like things more recently, there's a lot more of like white people jokes on social media and stuff like that. So maybe there's beginning to be some sort of understanding on some level, but probably not. I mean, the other thing to do is just go find, you know, there are tons of great, you know, thought leaders, industry leaders who are, you know, doing talks from different conventions and stuff like that and conferences. And I mean, there's Antoinette Carroll and Creative Reaction Lab that has regular free Zoom training since the summer about just what you can do to just to learn. I mean, just how to become more educated and things that you could do and just kind of discussion groups talking where people talk about what they've been able to do in their companies to help, you know, improve inclusion and improve diversity. So, uh, I think the biggest thing is just learn, try and learn, you know, whether you're a person of color or whether you're white, I think both sides need to learn because as a person of color, there are things that you can learn strategies that can help if you're a not a person of color and you want to be an ally or you don't, maybe you're not an ally. Maybe you think this is all like just a bunch of crap and everybody's being overly sensitive. Just try and learn, try and read. You might be surprised. Uh, you might learn about things that you never knew about. There's a lot of stuff that we don't cover in history classes. There are a lot of great historians out there. There's, I mean, I hate the reasons why uh, there's more of this stuff out there this year. But it is out there this year. We're all stuck at home. You've got plenty of time to read, listen to an extra podcast, learn more about ableism, learn more about colorism, learn more about racism, learn more about sexism. I mean, it's... Guarantee you know somebody who's been slighted in some way. <laughs> and it's... I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I think it's everybody's responsibility to learn. But that's just kind of maybe just more from my end yeah, um, I think my experience <laughs> I stays your vice i don't um, think you know learning is always applicable to anyone in any situation and i think it's it even helps you know you've gone through a couple of bad experiences and you've done sort of what you could in those moments to defend yourself or find justice for yourself in those moments and even if it you didn't as you said find the victory win that you want i think your experiences help other people and help them to learn about sort of uh, similar situations so that when they go through it, they know what to look out for and, and what not to. And also speaking on the topic of learning, is there a, a specific book that you think everyone should be reading? I think probably it's pretty applicable to this year. I read it last year, but Pivot by... Jenny Blake is something that like, I didn't make a career pivot. I was thinking about making it. And I guess maybe when I was transitioning to freelance, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I read it. It's a lot of common sense kind of at the end of the day, but it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that if you've been thinking about making changes, you'll realize that you've read in a lot of different places, but it kind of puts it all neatly in one book and it gives a lot of people's personal experiences. So I think it's helpful. And I think it's, a good book, even if you're not trying to switch careers or change, you know, the maybe the sector and in your industry that you, you work, you know, for, for creatives, you know, maybe you're trying to get more into tech and less in corporate or something. I think it's just useful because it still kind of gives you like a step-by-step -step process of like, this is what 
you can do to get there. And then there's, I mean, a, a grain of salt where a lot of the people in the book and the examples and the author are coming from, you know, great paying jobs to begin with. But I think it's still, you know, a lot of what's in there is still common sense for what you want to do if you're trying to transition to something else or just do more of what you want to do. That sounds like a great concept for a book, Pivot. Like how it's it's relatable in so many ways and so many um, faucets. They also have a podcast too, I think, um, a pivot podcast. So if you don't necessarily want to read a book, the podcast, I think, touches... I've, I haven't listened to a ton of episodes, but it ends up talking to different people who have made career changes and stuff like that and other just kind of industry people. So you may maybe get some other similar s- stories of it. And then I guess on that note of podcasts, how I built this is also really good, especially when you're trying to make your change, because it's really good to hear about everybody else's crazy stories about how they like manage to be successful. I mean, we're not all going to become millionaires, but it's encouraging to know that, you know, somebody literally had nothing and spent all their savings on this one thing. And they worked their butt off to try and meet, get this thing in front of everybody. And somehow they got their break and it worked out and, or some people, you know, hit some big walls on the process. And I think it's just kind of reassuring to know that you're not failing. (laughs) I think, especially when it's kind of like dark times right now, where there's like opportunities are fewer and just kind of the overall mood of the world is harder. I think it's just kind of reassuring to know that, yeah, scrappy people can still make it. (laughs) So, um, so so both relatable and encouraging yeah. especially for these <laughs> maybe <people>. therapeutic um <laughs> so therapy thrown in there nice that's excellent so you know for folks uh, who are listening if you're not a fan of reading don't fret there's always podcasts for you that yes. deal with <laughs> like this one. <laughs> you can also cut your therapy bill in half excellent Uh, Well, thanks, Naomi, for being on the show. We think that everyone, of course, should get paid for your time. And so uh, on the show, we like to share profits from advertisements with all our guests. Mm -hmm. Are there ways that our listeners are able to support you online, like on Patreon or Cash App or anything like that? I have a couple online stores that I'm going to get ready to launch soon. So I think people could follow me on social media. I'm Naomi Marie on a lot of things or Naomari creates, but I guess if you really wanted to cash at me or, or Venmo me, I'm Naomi Maria. So <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to say no to cash. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm getting ready to, I, I've been uh, slowly accumulating printmaking materials and I have actually a small letter press um, and another press and so I'm kind of building up a print shop and then I also started a creative market like stock illustration and soon to be font shop so I'm working on the stuff that's going on there it's not up yet so if people follow me on social maybe next year when COVID is over and we all have extra cash in our pockets you can throw some my way for some cool stuff so <laughs> I'm definitely going to check you out on it. We'll uh, we'll link it in the show notes. I know you said you're not up yet, but we'll link Mm -hmm. uh, all social media accounts in the show notes for anybody Mm -hmm. who's interested to check out Naomi's work. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, Naomi. It was so good to have you on. Did you have any final words you wanted to share before we wrap up? I know, just keep learning. Don't get too discouraged right now. And just make sure to make some things that you like for yourself. It's okay to have hobbies and not turn them into hustles. 
I think that's really important to remember because uh, I think, especially in creative fields, everybody's like, oh, you know, you're really good at that. You can make money off of that. It's like, you don't have to make money off everything that you do. If you really like knitting and you don't want to make knit things for money, just, just knit things for yourself and your friends. Just enjoy that because it's, it gives you pleasure. Like keep doing things that give you pleasure that are like important to you. Um, baking, whatever it ends up being, like it doesn't have to be for money. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.